Welcome to the Almost Famous podcast, the show where we get the opportunity to talk to professionals at the top of their field in the music industry, discussing their journeys and experiences. On this episode, I had the pleasure of chatting with the influential editor-in-chief of DJ Mag, Mr. Carl Loban. Carl tells his story of how he got into music journalism, his tips for aspiring journalists and up-and-coming artists, as well as discussing some important topics surrounding the dance music scene, including recreational drug use and the gender gap. Here's my interview with Carl Loban. You're listening to Almost Famous, a music industry podcast championing independence powered by The Famous Company. Whether you're an artist or music industry professional, ensure you don't miss a beat by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Carl Loban, the music lover who has helped shape the taste of many. He has been documenting the dance music scene since the 90s. He has written for iconic publications such as Melody Maker, Mojo and Billboard Encyclopedia. He's interviewed many of the big names in the scene. He is now the editor-in-chief of the best-selling and highly influential DJ Mag, the magazine whose website tagline is Living and Breathing Dance Music Since 1991. We are very honored to have him on the podcast today. Welcome, Mr. Carl Loban. How are we? Very good, thanks, Said. Very pleased to be here today. Yes, I know you've had a bit of a uh, a cold morning potentially. Yeah, my, um, I got back from Glastonbury Festival and my boiler had packed up, which I, I, I kind of traced back to actually a, a power cut just before um, leaving for Glastonbury um, last week. So I've yeah, I didn't. I had to have a cold shower after coming back from Glastonbury, which wasn't great, but no. um, it's all it's all fixed now. Thank you. <laughs> I'm I'm glad. Let's have a let's have a bit of a talk about Glasto. Actually, give me a highlight of the week. What was it? Wow, I've been asked this a few times, and I think the whole it was actually the whole thing. It was the whole thing was so great in terms of the vibe and the fact that no one had been at Glasto three years. So everyone was really appreciative, and it was that kind of that thing. You don't know what you've lost till it's gone. What have you? And so everything from even even if the performances weren't amazing um it was it was still just so great to be there that i was and and i was rolling with a, a fantastic funny crew as well that um everything was just great you know that that's not very that critical faculties um you know not really a work there but um well if i had to say one thing it'd be roshi murphy on the west holt stage on the saturday night was just amazing spellbinding amazing right let's jump into what it means to be editor-in-chief of DJ Mag. For those who don't understand what an editor-in-chief does, can you give me like a brief summary of potentially your day-to-day or uh, or what your job entails? Sure, yeah. Well, um, most of the, the, the work as, as editor-in-chief does um, involve uh, overseeing the UK magazine, our flagship title, which goes out to umpteen countries um, around the world. But also I have oversight over the, the North American edition and some uh, links with other syndicated DJ mags in other countries as well, such as Spain and Brazil and all sorts of places, and and some involvement in the website and uh, live stream stuff. But I'd say that chiefly my main activity uh, is the the, U, the the flagship UK mag, um, and you know because we're quite a small company, we we all wear various different hats at different times of the monthly production cycle, and so a, a lot of my work is is very hands-on you know whether it be 
proofreading pages or, or, or commissioning features or organizing cover shoots, the, the whole the whole caboodle, really. Yeah, of course, you, you got into music journalism. Was that always the plan for you when you started writing reviews? And, and how did you get your start at DJ Mag? I mean, I didn't really have a plan when I left college. I, I knew that I liked music and I liked writing, but I didn't really know what to do with myself. There wasn't, some, there wasn't sort of music industry jobs mapped out so much uh, then as, as, as there are now. You can do, now you can do courses on music journalism and, and what have you. But um, I, just, I just thought I'd be reading uh, Enemy and Melody Maker at the time, just after the turn of the 1990s, and read reviews and features and stuff and think, I could do that. And, and so I started going to, going to gigs, writing reviews, sort of sample reviews I suppose and then sending them in to uh NME and Melody Maker and luckily for me at the time Melody Maker the guy there said yep yeah, you can start writing for us and it was kind of as simple as as that really I, I just started being a freelance music writer and that took me right through the the 1990s or most of the way through 1990s with Melody Maker this golden age of, of music as it was with so much happening from from you know the, the birth of Brit, from Britpop to the sort of explosion of dance music, or whatever, and then yeah. towards the end of the nineties, I kind of started writing for DJ Mag as well, and kind of just fell in with them. Really, uh, sort of ended up on the, the staff around the Millennium time, and have um, pretty much been there ever since, uh, doing all the the very many different uh, roles that. Of um, that involved in a, a, a media title like that, from from running the website back way back then to sort of being you know to being features editor or reviews editor or la la la, and now editor. Carl, if you don't mind me asking, how much would someone get in the early nineties being a freelance journalist yeah, for a magazine? Good, good question. I think from memory, in the early nineties, if you did a what used to get called a down page review, a kind of maybe three, 250, 300 word review, a live review from, you know, the Camden Falcon uh, of a, an indie band or something, you'd get 27 quid, which was, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to make a living off, as it is, as it is even more so it is now, but it's hard to make a living off freelance journalism for sure. And I know what, what, what people advise these days, myself included, if I'm doing a talk or something is that that people kind of develop a portfolio career is the uh the the, the sort of jargonistic uh, word for it where if if you want if you're trying to break through into being a music journalist it's, it's hard to earn enough to pay your rent even you know per month so maybe you also do a bit of um working the door for your for your friends uh uh, music promotion event or you do a bit of pr or you do some copywriting or you do a pub job or or whatever or, or various perhaps other various other things in the in the music world that also are going to pay you and, and so in effect you're wearing several different hats at different times of the week or month to help you um sustain a career in, in music because as we know it's it's hard it's only the top x very small percentage of of people who make a handsome uh living out of music and a lot a lot of other music lovers are kind of you know struggling almost on the breadline a lot of the time yeah at this stage in your career do you ever feel nervous about an interview like what would you do to prepare and um do you feel like much has changed since since when you first started um i mean the whole 
industry's got more professional, definitely, I'd say. I mean, um, I think, yeah, I, I do still get nervous, and but preparing actually helps reduce those nerves because if you if you feel like you have done your your, your research and you've got perhaps you've, you've mapped out a list of questions and you're trying to um, structure the interview in a, in a certain way, then then perhaps you're less uh, wary because if it being I've, I've done things where I've just sort of busked it and been you know, woefully ill prepared, and um, that that just kind of makes for a worse interview really you think oh why didn't I ask such and such and and you know if you've kind of thought about it in advance and um sketched out a few key questions then then that's then you can always be referring back to to those questions but but yeah do your do your research in advance and and write your questions is is, is my tip because otherwise it um the artist or whoever it is could just ramble on and and you know you don't have um the confidence to interject at a certain point to take them in a new direction yeah do you if you were kind of giving advice then to someone on your team um is there like a certain uh step by step is there certain points other than of course being prepared do you ever give any more advice before they uh they jump into say the 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 the, the press area of a glastonbury or uh i i don't know a festival where it's probably going to be non-stop artist after artist after artist yeah i mean um I suppose if if I've interviewed the person before, I might um, drop in um, a bit of advice to do with what they seem to how they what they seem to prefer talking about, or what they think what may, may be off limits, or or you know how to ask questions is quite is actually quite key as well. There's some interviewers who kind of start start asking a question and then basically answer it themselves before they've even asked it. So it, it could even be that you or you do actually yourself know the answer. To such and such a question, um, kind of ballpark in the ball in that ballpark, but you you want the interviewee to say it so that they are are then quoted in the subsequent piece. So, so I might I might say to you, Zaid, uh, you know, oh how 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 did you get started in this in this podcast business? That's the question. But then I, I know that some people do do say things like oh so say how did you get started in the podcast business i imagine it was quite an interest for you and so that so then you know you were you were doing your college course and you thought oh maybe i'll get into the podcast thing um but was it like that say or you know would you get nervous and 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 they sort of start answering the question for you already rather than just open-endedly asking the the question to let you do the talking and provide the the answer that is then quotable in the subsequent piece yeah no I, I love that example and and to be honest it has been a uh i do see a lot of journalists or presenters and you don't want to take away from what the person's about to say sometimes you do have to feed that information to them I, I don't know it might be someone who might be quite tired or nervous themselves about being interviewed but there is definitely uh a way now i imagine you've interviewed some of the 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 biggest names in dance music you've probably like you said you have been a little bit nervous before i'm curious to know if you've had any interviews go go wrong uh please don't say this one carl um but yeah have you had any interviews go wrong for you and and, and is there any that you can think of off the top of your head i mean there's been instances where you know it hasn't recorded properly which has been you know unfortunate I, I recall one with moby i did that you know i did this hour-long interview and then it didn't bloody come out on the dictaphone so um I had to sort of go back sheepishly and say, Oh, can we actually do it again? Um and one one time with uh with Noel Gallagher, 
I, I sort of um, I was tasked with doing a bit of a kind of Dennis Penis going up to people at award, an awards show and asking them a silly or provocative question. And with Noel Gallagher, I, I sort of went up to him and said, oh, can I, can I talk to you? I'm from Melody Maker. Can I talk to you? And he just said, Melody Maker's rubbish and sort of stormed off. Um, which um, I think that was just him. That was just him being his, being Noel really at the time, and he just he did sort of you know make apologise later and 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 was, and was friendly. But but that, that was when um, the Melody Maker editor got. He said, "What was your quote from Noel?" It was like, "Oh, it's uh, Melody Maker's rubbish." <laughs> but you know, but um, uh, m- most of the time, no. I mean, most artists or. Or, or, or music people are happy to usually talk about their their work, and you know if you're if you're interested and into what they're doing, then hopefully they're forthcoming about explaining more detail about it. Yeah, I'll turn that question on its head. Actually, is there uh, is there any piece of work that you're you're most proud of? Oof, well, I mean, I, I suppose I like it when I, I I'm inspired by the the person I'm interviewing, and there's been numerous or well, a, a whole number of them. Um, of, of of people, I suppose, over the years, off the top of my head, thinking I'm thinking of um, uh, Laurent Garnier, I'm thinking of Carl Cox, Goldie, um, Mixmaster Morris, Fatboy Slim, uh, Nastia, the techno DJ from Ukraine, who um, has had a particularly torrid time of it lately for obvious reasons. Um, who else? I mean, yeah, I should have have had a prepared list of. Um, of people but but anyone who's inspiring it just it makes makes it that little bit more um exciting i suppose rather than just if you feel like you're just going through the motions a little bit yeah I, i've actually i don't know if you'd agree with me here because um i've had the pleasure of interviewing fatboy slim myself and there's something about an artist who is um so of course his his career is is it, it speaks for itself and someone like him who it was just so easy going and so natural do you find it sometimes that some of the the up-and-coming artists have more of a forced way of answering some of your questions than say like a norman cook who has been probably asked these questions a million times in his career and he's just got this, such a natural way of answering them do you see do you see that with the younger talent yeah i mean yeah norman is a great interviewee you know he's he, he's really thoughtful in his answers and, and what have you and also doesn't um doesn't it just leaves it up to you to to write the piece of what what's what fa- what we found more and more in recent years is the artists kind of pr and or management team after you've done the interview will say can we read the piece before it goes to print then um and and you're like well the person said what they said on the record you know and um, with with some of the older heads like like Fatboy and Carl Cox, and, and they're just like you're you're the you're the writers, you're the you're the media, whatever. You just get on with your job. We're, we just get on with ours, and and leave you to it. The the more up and coming people, well, it seems like their 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 management or PR people can be perhaps in because they're trying to justify their 15% as well and make a, make a fuss about something they're like we must see the thing before it goes to print or or you know um just try and um act as if we're the we're now the PR wing of their operation and everything has to be approved the cover image has to be approved the 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 photo what 
photos are used, you know, the, all the quotes and blah, blah, blah. And, and obviously this becomes a time, we, we, we try and put the kibosh on this because it becomes a very time-consuming process. We have a whole magazine to, to put out, not just the bit that they're involved with, um, which especially when several cooks get involved in in the the the, the um, stirring of the broth as well and oh I think hang on we're the ones who are making this bit of um, media content and someone the manager's saying oh I like that but for that cover shot and the PR saying oh for that one and you know so um the the it has changed a bit it's it's there's, there's there's more more of an appetite for interference from uh, management and PR teams, I'd say, which isn't always uh, welcome. But but you know sometimes we we go with it. Sometimes we're like, well, we have to actually finish this magazine by a certain deadline, so mm. just got to get on with it now. Yeah, what would you say maybe is then the uh, the most or like the, the the biggest misconception of being a music journalist if you're in a room of people and they say, oh, what do you do? I'm a music journalist. What's the first thing that maybe come out their, their mouth or uh, or something that you've had to just really like tone down um, in, the, in the last couple of decades about what you actually do? I mean, I suppose, yeah, people, people think it's it's this total, totally glamorous life where you, you go on tour with a band for two weeks or something or, or you know, you, um, you, you go to you're forever flying to Ibiza with so-and-so and hanging out for four days. And, and a lot of the time it's actually um, not that or mo- where it's, it's never that. In fact, you don't go on tour for two weeks. You can, you'll spend some hours and a night perhaps with a, with an artist or whatever. Um, so, so, so that people, people, people also always say, Oh, so who should I be listening to at the moment then? But when they when you when you say that you're a music journalist, and my my mind just always immediately goes blank in that, in when when that happens, and it's like, well, we've been sort of highlighting and and showcasing all these all these new artists and what have you every month, and picking out two or three just even from the last month or whatever it becomes, you know, when you put on the spot becomes um, some, sometimes problematic, and, and and also you don't know how involved. Uh, clued up in music this person is maybe yeah. on, on first meeting it might be you might say oh yeah, check out bicep they're really good but they're not exactly new and unheard of and and what have you uh so yeah i suppose the people think it's really glamorous when sometimes my job is not so glamorous you know it's always managerial organizational increasingly and less less writing even um Apart from putting stand, uh, putting intros on, on features and stuff like that, um, and, and and I'm not forever jetting off to Brazil or to wherever to, you know, hang with so and so. And most of it is proofreading the trance reviews or or you know, yeah. <laughs> organising a photo shoot or something, which is um, could be almost in any um, creative job, I suppose. But you know, I still love it, so I'm not exactly complaining. Yeah, 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 definitely not. I think um, I think a lot of the time people have watched. Uh, you must have seen it yourself. The film Almost Famous. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, and they basically think it's that. <laughs> and if you're listening, yeah. and if you haven't seen Almost Famous, um, please don't stop this podcast. Listen to the end and then go watch it. But you do have <laughs> to go. You have to go watch it. Um, as as a music journalist, some some of the areas of your job, I, I assume, 
a lot of people think it's shrouded in mystery and and they would like to know if they're an artist as well how can they promote their own music um so if you're an artist right now then what's the best way you would say to land an article on their latest release what's the advice you would give i mean if you if you're a new artist and it is your more or less first release or what have you um it can be um appropriate to employ the services of a, a, a public relations person a pr because they invariably have a, a really strong mailing list or database which they'll they'll mail out your 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 music to all these all these journalists and radio people and what have you and and hopefully follow up and maybe get you some coverage in that way but sometimes it can be quite expensive to employ employ pr so it what what does work for us sometimes is literally the the artist is fresh out of their bedroom they they've got their first release coming on their own label they might just look up our, one of our emails and and send it to us and and if it's caught us at the right moment we might might just give it a quick listen and think wow this is this has got something and then do do a write up off our own back i mean some music journalists are inherently lazy and so being served served uh, music by a, a PR is is kind of a smoother, easier way sometimes of getting something sorted out in terms of coverage, a piece. But sometimes just even just mailing direct and saying, telling your story, putting a few basic facts in the thing, not making the, the email too long or whatever, not your life story, but um, but a succinct summary of what you're all about and what your music is is doing um, directly to some. To some music journals can work when you're initially starting up also you know it might just get ignored as well so don't be dispirited just carry on and um do the same thing for the next release yeah and i know of course um there's a huge debate now over print versus digital and uh dj mag you've, you've held your own you're on the shelf still clearly it's it's working because we have seen certain organizations kind of take a hit and feel like no we don't need to be there anymore do you think a, a write-up in a in a magazine such as dj mag can affect an artist's career in a way it used to and or do you think that there's so many more people now finding it online and and it's it's basically just a nice little bit to their collection i'm in a magazine do you know what i mean sure i know i know what you mean i mean i'm not I think more, more, perhaps more so the the latter thing because I'm not not um, thinking that you know it's the number one thing you can do is get a mention in DJ magazine. It's it's like being covered in in DJ magazine becomes part of an art, an artist's kind of I suppose a personal PR um, press kit, what have you. And there might be a a, a review in DJ mag also. Pitchfork or you know RA or whatever it is, um, but but I think with with the actual printed magazine as well in the round about the millennium time twenty years ago there was about six dance music magazines in print. Now we're with the only one left, so I suppose with our print mag as well, a bit like pressing something to vinyl, it, because we're in print. There is that almost that that extra layer of um, authenticity, or or you know it's, it's gone through an extra layer of of of, of checks and. And what have you isn't is not just some somebody's copied and pasted something on a blog or whatever. Um, we're we're a professional operation, you know. We do our um, our mag every month, and it's got how many pages has this one got? Uh, one hundred and fifty six pages of 
juicy uh, music journalism. And um, also advertisers seem to like print as well. Um, mm. uh, we, we get more advertising in print than we do on our website. Um, but the, the two operate in tandem, basically. It's, 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 it's like a, it's a multi-platform operation now, you know, digital, print and, and video. I love the fact that you refer to it as juicy music journalism. <laughs> There's a quote well, for today. We've got some good writers, you know, and, 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 and people are very informed and trying to turn people on to good music. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of what we produce every month. Yeah, I love that. Let's talk, talk about the writers. We talked about maybe being a, an up-and-coming artist. Um, what would you say if someone's listening to this right now, you've inspired them, Carl, they want to be a music journalist? Like, what's the first step? I mean, it's similar. Well, the there are music journalism courses you can you can do now, but you don't have to do one of those. Some of our writers haven't done music journalism courses; they've done something else, and then just thought, actually, I want to get into this, and they've they've got an or an existing aptitude for for writing. So, in in a way, it's similar. Cause people people um, will write in and say, "Oh, I've got a, I want to pitch this i this feature idea to to DJ Mag," and you you, you kind of have to sort of suss someone out a little bit as if they're going to be sort of good enough to to commission um and so it might be that you you've built up a a, a small portfolio of, of stuff you've done in the past like you've written for x website and you know whoever and and on your email you've provided links to past you might have written for the student paper you provide links to pieces you've done in the past so that the commissioning editor can have a look and 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 you're like, oh, they interviewed so and so, and this. Let's have a little read of this piece. Oh, it looks quite good actually. They 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 they're definitely good enough to take on something for for us. Or or maybe we go back and say, mm, I think you just need a tiny bit more experience doing working on your student paper or whatever. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's literally as 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 simple as emailing emailing in and and uh, and saying, look, I want to I want to do this. I've got this passion for such and such. I've got an idea of a certain uh, themed issue that could work I'd, i'm really excited about interviewing such and such new artist whatever it is um yeah uh as as easy as that really yeah yeah i, I want to now move on to a subject we're going we're gonna to talk about it's, it's a bit of a tough one but i i love the fact that you guys at dj mag have not been shy to report on it it's it's dance music and drug taking and they've they've somehow always kind of intertwined, um, and we're now in I guess a time where it's Gen Z is becoming known as Generation Sobriety, with more people drinking less and being more curious about sobriety than, than previous generations. I, I just wanted to get your kind of feelings towards this. You've been in the music industry since the nineties. You've probably got enough stories about this subject, and and. It, it just, you see it. Do you know what I mean? I was at a festival a couple of weeks ago. It was 10 a.m. and things were happening. Um, and so, yeah, I'd just like to know your feelings towards uh, what you guys report on uh, in terms of dance music and drug taking. And um, if if you're seeing it less and less as we move on to uh, this next generation. Yeah, well, I mean, um, music scenes and drug taking have always gone together ever, ever since, you know, blues and jazz in the 40s and 50s and rock and roll and psychedelic rock and mm. mod, mod bands and, 
and every music scene has a has a drug associated with it, basically. And but at, at DJ Mag, we never really in the I suppose for the first twenty odd years of the, of the magazine, we didn't really report or focus on drugs at all. It was all about the music. Some other dance mags would put a picture of an ecstasy pill on their cover or whatever, and have have whole you know articles about about drugs and and, and so on. I, I suppose our position was always either it's about the it's the music, you know, mm. or reporting on things in that that um, involve kind of harm minimization. Which is which is kind of accepting the fact that young people are gonna or are gonna some young people are gonna take drugs no matter what yeah. the authorities say uh, to them and so so the the followed subsequent implication is that you, you you provide information so that someone can do it safely and not die basically <clears throat> um, yeah or get ill so um, yeah we have in in recent times done done some bits of reporting on on. Uh, issues to do with, 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 for instance, pill testing at festivals, or, or you know, a, a few other things. But we, we, we mainly are about the music. You know, obviously, there's a significant section of um, uh, p- people who do attend dance events who, who might, at some point, uh, take uh, recreational drugs. Um, yeah, we, 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 we accept this. We don't have, um, we don't um, preach anything about it either way. And yeah, it does seem like this this new generation is less. Um, um, if if you're if you're giving a broad generalisation, there's possibly less of a percentage of, of of this new generation who do you know sort of get pissed at the weekend or or or, or take loads of drugs at the weekend. It's, it's, um, it's it seems like this this generation is is more more sober and you know more more power to them really. Yeah, I just appreciate the fact that you guys at DJ Mag, you're basically saying here, look, we know our readers aren't stupid. Do you know what I mean? If we see this stuff happening, they see that stuff happening. And I think it's it's, um, parts of the industry like you guys who can just shine a light on if you're going to do it, try and do it safely. Um, And I've had... I've had to have off the record talks with people who work first aid at festivals and people who work security at festivals. Again, they're not stupid. Um, but I think, I think drilling in the fact that it can be done safely is uh, something I commend you guys for. So um, I want to say thank you for that. My next question is, is more about, um, it, and it's only because, again, I'm going to refer back to an older episode of ours as well, which I've done before. Um, female DJs, and the the gender gap and the it it just seems like there is less representation in dance music that there can be in say pop or rap um as someone who has a, a view on this as in as in you you a higher view let's say what do you think can be done to help kind of bridge that gap what's the first step that we can take to uh, to help our festival lineups and our club lineups become become more about female DJs or or other let's say groups coming in and also getting their chance. Yeah, I mean, well, uh, uh, there has been a lot of work in the last five years or so on 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 this issue of equality on on lineups and, and what have you. I think 
you know the the the, the boys the old fashioned boys club of of DJ, of the DJs is has has pretty well is breaking down has broken down and now there's a hell of a lot more uh, women DJs kind of who have risen to the the upper echelons as well it's not just a few a handful of of people there's literally hundreds of fantastic women DJs now who who make make a living from from DJing from from the the people at the very top I suppose like yeah. Uh, Peggy Goose and Nina Kravitz and Nervo and Nicole Mudibar, all the, the, the kind of people who appear in our alternative top 100 DJs list, which is actually much more, um, has, has many more female DJs in than our main top 100 DJs list, which is well, both of which are all voted for by the public. We have no control over those. We encourage people to vote for women DJs because we want to see many much more representation and and on lineups as well working towards a 50 50 split you know there's no reason why promoters shouldn't be thinking well you know let's have a really balanced lineup it's not just all white dudes you know get get some balance in there and then that will be reflected in your crowd as well much more and that's what we that's what we want we want an inclusive scene that um is representing and involving people of colour, you know, LGBTQ plus people as much as women DJs coming through as well and and it not just being this white boy hegemony which um, just uh, isn't very attractive to me. Yeah, yeah, I, I truly get that. And uh, we are seeing it a lot more and hopefully me and you can have a discussion like this in the future as well and say, look, it's happening more and more and I, and I think that'd be fantastic. You and uh, Ben Murphy, now for people who don't know Ben Murphy, he's the, the former editor-in-chief of DJ Mag. You had a, uh, a book last year published, I believe it was last year. It was um, Renegade Snares, The Resistance and Resilience of Drum and Bass. Now, can you tell me the creative process behind putting this book together? And I'd love to get your opinion on the importance of this book and what it means to you. Sure. Well, we, we actually had the idea a few years ago to where well, we, we were sat around thinking why is there no kind of been no kind of definitive book about the history of drum and bass written um well, i wonder who who'd write that actually who's in a better position to write it than than us oh maybe we should do it and then we so we we, we set about um uh well in, initially we did one of those kind of crowdfunding things through this publisher called unbound but we found we both weren't very good at pushing ourselves saying oh well come and buy purchase this in advance and, and pushing it pushing it, pushing it. So we went in the end down a more tra- traditional publishing route. I actually had a, a kind of mind block about about getting really stuck into it until the beginning of the, until the pandemic happened. And I wasn't any anymore going up and down from Brighton, my hometown to London all the time to work in the DJ Mag office and, and having all that frustrating time on the train where you can't really work or whatever. And you just crushed in with commuters. Uh, suddenly had this headspace and so got really stuck into we 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 were working remotely got stuck into the book um in at the start of the pandemic yeah, basically from march april 2020 onwards and we we basically cracked on and did it by the end of the year by the end of 2020 and and yeah it came out in september 21 through um uh jawbone press it's been re- really well received really happy with how how it's been received there's it, it can be quite um small p political the drum bass scene and um no one's come after us to 
with pitchforks to say where 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 why where was the bit about us or you know why why have we given so much coverage to so and so and not me or um or whatever and so yeah I, I don't I can't it's not for me to say how important the book is but I think it, it's a it's perhaps some sort of extra authentic authentication for the the scene which back in the nineties was you know kind of considered down on the, the margins on the outskirts it was a renegade sound you know mm. um it's become more accepted as just part of the rainbow spectrum of, of of uk music you know and and something that was born out of out of london out of hackney where i used to live which was kind of why because i was so into it in the 90s um that's that's where my initial interest and, and passion for it came and, I, and back in those days in the mid and late 90s i interviewed all the drum bass people um who when they first started kind of thing you, you know your lemon dean dillingers and bookham and got everyone really and and so being able to go back look at some of those interviews re-interview some people for the book as well and, and basically sort of try and tell the story of its um genesis and development over the um of the course of the the 90s and beyond was 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 a, a great thing to have the, the headspace to be able to do suddenly yeah, I think we'll feel like we, me and you are giving people a list of things to do after this interview. Uh, so f- first of all, let's watch Almost Famous. And second of all, let's get a copy of that book. Um, so yeah, yeah, def- definitely. Is there any new projects from yourself coming up that you can let us know about or any projects from DJ Mag that we should be looking out for in the future? I mean, at the, at the moment we do, we've started work on our August Mag. And also we do a, um, an Ibiza supplement we do two two a year for the um, for the island, uh, which we we're on the second one now as well, running concurrently to doing this latest UK mag. Also having some oversight of the latest North American mags a lot, and and the odd other uh, Mag projects as well. Which so it's it's all pretty much Mag stuff at the minute for me. Um, looking at launching my own record label at some point very soon as well, um, just for the hell of it. And and also continuing to, to to DJ and go out to events such as um, such as Glastonbury, which I've only just recovered from, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll I'll uh, I'll hit you with one more question then before you uh, go. Finally, get that nice warm shower you were dreaming of over the oh, weekend. Oh, but now my boiler's fixed. Just this morning, I've I've had my warm shower already. So. Oh, really? <laughs> nice. That's brilliant. Um, before I ask this final question, then. I'll roll out the red carpet for you, Carl. Where can people find DJ Mag? Where can people find um, your book, The Renegade Snares, The Resistance and Resilience of Drum and Bass? And uh, where can people find you? Gosh, um, people find DJ Mag in uh, shops such as WH Smith's at airports and and what have you. You can subscribe. Uh, If you go to djmag.com, there's the shop there with the... um, so you can have it delivered through your door every month. Um, there's 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 stuff on our on our, via our website and also socials that people that make it make it easy to access our content, whether that be Instagram or YouTube videos of DJ live streams and uh, our own videos on crate digging or how I how I made such and such a tune by the artist or, or whatever. How, uh, how can people find? the drum bass book renegade snares they it's on kind of amazon and waterstones and those sort of sites or even in some in some waterstones books and other outlets and people find me um 
shall I give my email address? I don't know if I should. Um, <laughs> via the traditional DJ Mag uh, channels quite easily. I'm very easy to find all on social media as well. Obviously. Um, what am I? Carl. Dot... No, just Carl Loban on Twitter. Uh, Carl Loban 3000 on Insta. I think I'm Carl dot Loban on Facebook. So when I set all these up, I had no inclination to make them all coherent with each other. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I'm easy to find. So um, if you've got something to punt, hit me up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So here's the uh, the last question for you then. I want to uh, take you back in time just a little bit uh, to that freelance journalist who was, uh, of course, writing about his favorite favorite artists and those venues and then and then throwing them to to the magazines. What advice would you give to your younger self um, if you could give one piece? One piece, well, um, I, I have more than one interest, I'd say. In, well, if musically and in general, but in, in, in music, don't I, I, I was actually guilty of kind of painting myself into a corner and becoming the drum and bass guy. Where, and so that, that, that would limit what work I'd get, basically. It'd be like, oh, well, do we want to send the, the drum and bass guy to um, something that isn't drum and bass? Um, so yeah, have a, have a broad selection of specialities and interests, I'd say, so that um, that you can't just be pigeonholed into one small area. But but that can conversely work the the other way as well, because it's like, oh, we need someone to write about a drum and bass act. Oh, let's contact the drum and bass guy. So it's it's about getting a getting a balance really of of your um, speciality, but also. Um, having a, a broad, broad oversight to, you need knowledge of all various different stratas of music, I'd say, as well. You've been listening to Almost Famous, a music industry podcast powered by The Famous Company. If you're an independent artist or music industry professional, for more information, head to www.thefamouscompany.com.